0: Welcome to a rare double episode, two in one day of the Scout with Bryant podcast. Had to fit in another episode for the patron mailbot bag that has been long promised and long overdue. Apologies to my patrons, but as promised, got to get to your questions uh, that you guys submitted on patreon.com slash Uh If you'd like to be able to submit a question for the next podcast, uh, or have access to fifty—that's right, five zero—uh, super in-depth bonus videos, many over ten minutes, uh, of super detailed NBA sets, uh, tendencies, strategies, plays, uh, X's and O's, you name it. Go to Patreon.com/slash Scout with again to support for even a couple dollars a month to help keep Scout with Brian going, uh, and to get a ton of extra bonus perks for you. Thank you to my hundreds of patrons for your awesome support. Uh, and again, if you're not one, just head over to the link is in the description, but patreon.com slash with to subscribe today. You can even pay up front now uh, for a whole year, uh, as low as $20 uh, unlocks all the bonus content uh, and a year's worth of subscription. Per- perfect fit for any basketball junkies, coaches, players. Uh, and head over there. All right, without further ado, let's get to your questions. Tyler asked, as a middle school AAU coach, I do watch the film of our games often, but also don't have hours to pore over stats, details, etc. What are the one or two things that are generally best to watch for in the film room, especially at the lowest levels or even at the highest level? That's a great question, Tyler. And I would say, to be honest... I think the answer is the same uh at both levels, and the answer really is teaching kids or adults uh to play hard every second. I think that's something that even the pros obviously struggle with a decent amount uh and it's not even always a at least for them a, a conscientious decision. It's not uh you know something that uh, they necessarily try to do. sometimes they have to pace themselves over a long season. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's more defensible for older guys like LeBron. Uh, but kids in particular, I think, need to learn basically that there cannot be an off switch when they're on the court. Uh, so the biggest thing I just try to watch, quite on, quite honestly, you know, when I'm watching even uh, my ninth grade team and our, our game film, uh, is who is in a stance every single time, who is sprinting back in transition every single time, who is in the right help spots, uh, who is willing to get on the floor, who's running the floor hard, who's pointing and communicating. The little things, obviously, as you know, as a coach are the big things. So, you know, obviously as coaches, you can sit there and you can nitpick, oh, this shot, he should have drifted this way or should have used this footwork. You know, there's a million tiny little details we can pick up. But I think the one thing that's the biggest constant and most important thing to be emphasizing for especially kids, especially anybody, quite frankly, below the NBA, is learning just good habits every second. Particularly, the thing I would focus on more than anything is help side defense. I personally play, and I would recommend to almost anybody, unless you have unbelievable shooting competition is to play a pretty pack line defense that's what to be honest most of the nba's help principles are all based on anyway is starting at the elbows boxes and elbows being at the nail clocking the paint building a wall first and then getting out from there i think you have to start with that foundation start with that shell make sure kids understand that it's much harder to to start out start at the three-point line and then have to run to the elbow and then have to run back out as opposed to just starting at the elbow and then getting out on the kick out to your man. One effort instead of two. Or two efforts instead of three. Whatever it is. So, again, I would just really try to get to drill as much as you can. Not not to crush the kids and not to tear into them or anything. I don't know exactly what well, you said in middle school. But... You know, without crushing them, I just try to point out every time like this is not this is not playing hard enough. This is not what we do, right? I, I tell my kids all the time too. I say I don't I don't care if you miss shots. I don't, you know. I prefer you you didn't turn the ball over, but I'm not gonna, you know, just take you out of the game for that for a decision made bad decision or anything like that. But I absolutely will take you out for not playing defense or not sprinting back or not, you know, being in a stance, any of those things. Those are the non-negotiable things. Those are the things uh, that they can absolutely control, uh, and I think those are the best things, uh, especially given probably limited film time, uh, that you should emphasize to players uh, at that level. So I hope that helps. Aiden asks, uh, what does your ideal starting lineup look like? Not necessarily specific players, but rather what types of players are you looking at for each position? um and he then clarified even that uh let's say talking about the NBA you're in charge of a team and could build a starting five how you see fit another good question I mean obviously <laughs> I don't want to even though my answer probably turn out being this way basically uh well you know what I'll try to avoid giving an answer that's totally like that uh I, I, I won't give you just the five best players or my five favorite players in the league I'll try to Put together a team that's definitely not going to be fair, but but uh, you know isn't uh, isn't the five MVP candidates. A point guard. I need a floor general. I need somebody that's an extension of the coach. I need somebody that sees things two three plays ahead, that communicates, that makes everybody better. So I'm going to go with the point guard, Chris Paul. Uh, certainly can't go wrong with Luca, or Harden, or Steph. Well, you could go wrong at Harden, especially if he's within a 1,000 yards of a strip club. But, uh, yeah, give me Chris Paul at the point guard. Um, At the 2? You know what? At the 2, I'll I'll go with Steph Curry, actually, because, in my opinion, he's not a point guard. And he's never been a point guard. And he's a better 2 than he is a point guard. So I think he's the best shooter of all time, the best shooter off movement of all time. You can obviously run him off screens all freaking day long. Chris Paul can guard up and and cover up his uh his defense a little bit better. But uh yeah, I'm riding with with Steph's spacing out to about 50 feet. At the 3 um let's go with LeBron James. <laughs> oh, I said I wouldn't make it unfair, but I don't know. How can you do this answer <laughs> this question? Yeah, I mean I, you know, uh, The 3 and D, way the whole league's playing, those guys. Yeah, you want somebody like that, but uh, when you can also make it, you know, maybe the greatest player of all time, uh, I think you probably have to do that as well. Um, At the 4, let's go with Pascal Siakam. I just, I love his motor. I love his feel for the game. I love his skill level how well he shoots the ball now is outrageous um you know he can he can shoot off the dribble he can shoot off the catch from pretty much anywhere uh which is just wild for a player that came in as basically a hustle guy um so let's go Siakam there and then it's center I, I think especially in today's nba you need uh you need a passing five you need a guy that can Facilitate out of delay actions and, uh, and, you know, handle the ball up top and read the floor. Uh, and I'll take the greatest passing big of all time in uh, Nikola Jokic. So, yeah, I did kind of put together a super team, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, let's go with uh, Chris Paul, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Pascal Siakam, and Nikola Jokic. Uh, again, that doesn't necessarily mean I think those are the five best players in the league or anything like that, even though they're probably pretty close. But, uh, yeah, I think that team would have a lot of movement, a lot of pick and roll, a lot of pick and pop, a lot of defense, a lot of length, a lot of shooting. Uh, Yeah, but... <laughs> Generally speaking, I mean, I think if you need to take it, a, make it a little bit harder, you know, where I can't pick that good of a team even, you know, I, I think people don't realize, like, you know, people love Jokic and they love to point out the assist numbers and they say, oh, he's like a point guard, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he's more than just that. He He's an entire, like, offensive system. I mean, everything revolves around him. And not just his passing, it's his his shooting, his post-up play, his handle, everything. And, and, like, a guy like Sabonis is kind of the same way. And even, you know, Siakam to an extent. And, uh, you know, Bam to an extent. Like, you need a big like that in today's NBA, I think. You can't have just, like, if you want to be a championship team in particular, like, that's This is what the Andy Baileys of the world don't get. You know, Rudy Gobert, great defensive plus minus and PER and super efficient and dunks the ball and protects the rim. That's great. But in the playoffs, when you can't just sit back at the rim the entire game and have to get out and switch and be aggressive and be able to be a threat offensively and potentially make a shot and pass the ball and do all these things, He's not good enough, for the most part, to, to win a championship. Uh, you know, the other guys are pretty, pretty self-explanatory. And, you know, I don't think anybody would have much of an issue with any of them. But, obviously, uh, from the coaching background, I certainly am a believer in, you know, having at least some sort of true point guard type on the team. Even though that definition's always changing. But, but yeah, I I've long been a person who... Loves Steph Curry and appreciates him tremendously. But yeah, I don't I don't think he's a real point guard. I think he's really a combo. And I think he's more of a two if I had to pick one. So that would be my uh, little super team. Joshua asked, Ben Simmons told the media he expects the Sixers to use Seth Curry similar to how they used J.J. Redick with handoffs coming off screens and movement to spread the floor. How does that fit into what Doc has done in the past offensively? Also, Doc says he wants the Sixers to have the number one defense in the NBA. Do they have the players to make that happen? Uh, First of all, Doc definitely will appreciate having shooters like Seth Curry, Um, particularly shooters that can come off of movement, like off of screens, like you said. Did a lot of that stuff for J.J. Redick, for Landry Shaman, for obviously Ray Allen back in the day. Doc uh, definitely has a lot of good pin-down packages and packages for for shooters coming off screens. Even, you know, Tobias Harris uh, had his best year of his career with Doc. Uh, And certainly, you know, the Simmons-JJ handoff, Simmons-JJ pick-and-pop, that was a pretty dangerous play. I would expect, uh, maybe not to J.J.'s extent, but for Seth to have... A good deal of that success playing with Ben, um, and definitely to be a good fit in in Doc Rivers' ATOs in what Doc Rivers try to tries to do. It's interesting to be honest. I think uh, you know Dave Yeager is their offensive coordinator. I believe Doc uh, likes to divide up the responsibilities. I think Dan Burke does the defense. Uh, but they're they're running which Yeager actually did a lot of in Sacramento, like a lot of Princeton like chin type stuff. It's very different than what Doc has usually run in the past. uh. So it'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on because it's... And this is something, I again, I remember from Sacramento with Jaeger. Their sets look very unlike kind of most of the league stuff. Like, it's a lot of stuff that you don't see a ton of. So we'll see how successful it is. If it's successful, obviously, Doc will be pretty hands-off and happy with it. But uh, if it's not... You know, that's certainly having a uh, a former head coach who you haven't really worked f- with before, as far as I know, with Jaeger and Doc. Uh, you know, there's always the potential for some issues there. So, uh, we'll see. As far as the defense, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if they'll be number one. But I think, you know, Ben Simmons is certainly a defensive player of the year type guy. That's certainly within the realm of possibility for him. Um, Embiid definitely can be one of the better and should be one of the better defensive fives every season. Uh, Thibel, I think, is going to be a defensive player of the year type someday. He's having a lot of trouble getting on the floor, though, because his offensive game is so bad. Um, So probably not if you can't play him a ton, especially because Seth isn't... Great by any means. Danny Green's good. Mike Scott's not good. Dwight's pretty good for his age. Quark Maz is meh. uh Shake and Maxie will be okay. But you know, again, defense is uh, Tobias. I miss Tobias is solid. But defense is mostly buy in and effort and hustle and. Yeah, I mean if if Doc develops that kind of culture, Dan Burke certainly is a is a really good defensive coach and uh will definitely have them doing the right things. Possible. But I'd say a lot more possible if they had, you know, kept Josh Richardson, kept more of that identity that they had last season. I think this season the goal is more floor spacing and uh more threes and create a better system for for Simmons and uh, and uh, Embiid. Jamie said, how do you think the Timberwolves are looking for this year and the new f- near future? Any chance of attracting good players and creating a winning roster if they have a decent season in 2021? Uh, first of all, I mean, I think they certainly, you know, should be aiming for at least the play-in tournament this year at least being around that 7-10 to 10 seed. And remember, if you're the 10 seed this year, you can make the playoffs. All you have to do is win two straight games by the time you get there. Win the 10-9, 10-9 game, and then you play the winner of the 7-8 game. And if you win that, you're in the playoffs. So, I, you know, certainly I, I think they can be in contention there. Obviously, health is going to be a major, you know, major need for any team, really, and, and the cat. Stuff already isn't ideal, but if they can get through the season with pretty good health, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you got D'Lo and, and you got Cat to, to make the playoffs, and that's got to be the expectation uh, for Ryan Saunders. And, you know, big year for Jarrett Culver. You gave Malik Beasley a lot of money. You had the number one pick in Anthony Edwards. You got a, a really solid, uh, you know, point guard in Ricky Rubio. You got a great defensive player in Josh Okogie. They got some talent. They they have pieces. Um, You know, I don't. Obviously, a third star is probably the biggest thing on the wish list, and uh, I don't know how much of a free agent destination Minnesota is going to be. They've they've never really had that going for them, but uh, yeah, it'll be a development thing now. I think mostly Culver Edwards, uh, even Nas Reed and. Noel, some of the young prospect project types they have. I gotta develop those guys and that's that's really crucial in Minnesota. Personally, I think they should have taken Wiseman instead of Edwards and that would have finally given given Cap a uh, a guy to protect him, a a guy that could play defense with him. Um, because I don't think, you know, Wancho and him, or Layman and him, or whoever is playing that four spot. I mean, that's that's been Cat's fatal flaw. It's defending the rim, so they had a chance to get a, a elite rim protector and Wiseman, and you know he Cat could have. He can stand out there and guard the Klebers and the, the slower fours in the league. He can guard the Porzingis, you know. Um, and Cat and they can both handle the ball and spot up and you know, play off each other offensively. Yeah, Edwards has looked all right, but I still think long-term they're going to end up regretting uh, not taking Wiseman. But certainly, I mean, if if they are in the playoffs or right around it this year, I mean, you know, Cad and Dilo is an intriguing pair, and you might be able to get a vet or two to come and compliment that. But I think most young guys and guys... <coughs> in the prime of their career, are not uh, generally lining up to come play in Minnesota. I believe that is all of the patron questions. So definitely if you think I missed you or, again, if you'd like to submit something next time, stay tuned on patreon.com slash uh for threads where I solicit questions and shoot me a message if I missed you or anything like that. Without further ado, let's... End with a bonus real quick. My top five and bottom five coaches in the NBA today. And keep in mind, this is not who I think wins coach of the year. This is just my five best coaches in the league. Also keep in mind that this list changes pretty much by the minute. (laughs) And that is a testament to how good these guys are. And some of them are so good that expectations have gotten so high that if they falter and really fall off for a season or two, they might get fired. That's how nuts this league is. So it's all flavor of the month type stuff. You know, some of them always have the potential to jump up big. Some of them can go down big. But anyway, my honorable mentions for best coach, Steve Kerr. Frank Vogel, hard to keep the defending champion off the at least honorable mention list. Think still needs to show a little bit more to be best of the best, but his years in Indiana and now LA were certainly looking enough to overshadow the bad times in Orlando. Steve Kerr, Frank Vogel, Quinn Snyder would be higher if not for their playoff lack of success. And losing the 3 1 lead this past season. To me, he's maybe the best pure tactician in the league. Best X's and O's, best plays. And Mike Malone, a phenomenal coach, has done a phenomenal job in Denver and built an amazing system and got guys to play phenomenally hard. Really hard to not list them in the top five. Almost. Ridiculous. I agree, but so don't be too offended if that they're not on there. That I didn't even mention Rick Carlisle and other guys like that, because the top five is just obscene. Going five to one. Let's start number five. Mike Budenholzer. Lack of playoff success would have him higher with a little more of that, but his playoff failings have kept him from the very top. Nick Nurse, number four, phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal coach. Brilliant innovator. He's done a great job so far, but obviously a pretty small sample size. Needs to do it a few more years, but I think he's elite of the elite. Number three, Greg Popovich. Obviously, he's more of the uh, historical vote in that I think he's probably the best coach of all time. Uh, so why is he not number one or two? Well, because, you know, again, I'm ranking them for this season, for right now, and I'm not sure he's at his best and brightest and best he's ever been, but you still can't have a coaching list without Pop, at least in the top three or four, in my opinion, and he alone, I think, as much as anybody, gives the Spurs a chance to be in the playoffs this year and a chance to be better than people predict. Number 2, Brad Stevens. No, I would not pick him over any player going forward. I would not uh trade my franchise piece for him, but I do think he's damn good. I do think he has phenomenal end-of-game plays and ATOs and just a brilliant demeanor and general management style. I think Brad is the real deal, and I think right now the pressure is on Danny Ainge to do better for Brad because losing Gordon Hayward for nothing and not really upgrading the roster in any big way was kind of ridiculous. And I also think he's had some questionable picks uh, of late that have not given Brad the best chance to win. Uh, But we'll see. Number one, Eric Spolstra, the video room genius. Brilliant X's and O's, brilliant ATO's. But most importantly, Best, Culture, demands a tremendous amount out of guys, holds them accountable. Miami, really unlike anybody else in the league, Uh, just an incredible competitor, incredibly fiery, and a winner. He's obviously proven that he can win at the highest level plenty of times. uh, And to me, if I'm picking any coach, uh for the next five, ten years, I'm going Spo. The bottom five. Duh, duh, duh. Honorable mention, and it's not really fair, so don't crush me for this. Oklahoma City fans, because obviously we have no sample size really. If anything, he's looked pretty good through two games, but I'm gonna just throw Mount Mark Dagnalt Dagnolt I don't know how to pronounce it. Angolt, I don't know, (laughs) but he's an honorable mention for this list, only because he's a pretty wild hire, to be perfectly honest with you, Um, you know, to go from being, (laughs) I'll tell you, here's a personal story real quick, like in 20, when was it, 2013 or so, Team USA, Billy Don, the amateur edition with Billy Donovan as the coach. I think Marcus Smart on the team. A few of those young guys. They practiced in D.C. at Verizon Center. And Mark Dagnall was like a behind the bench Billy Donovan, like grad assistant almost. And he was hanging out in like my office all the time. <laughs> to be honest, he was kind of annoying. <laughs> nice guy. But he was kind of trying to learn absolutely everything he could. It's not a bad thing. But, like, just hovering over you and almost not doing his actual job and caring more about watching you do yours every second. And certainly a, a curious guy, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not surprising to see that guys like that. Presti clearly has a uh, a big affinity for. Uh, certainly a go-getter. But, I mean, he goes from being basically, a, again, behind the bench, Florida, GA, or whatever, to Presti plucks him out to being a, a G League head coach to then Billy follows and goes to Oklahoma City and and Mark stays with the blue with the G League team for four years five years something like that then he gets promoted to being I believe a behind the bench assistant for Billy and then Billy gets fired and he becomes the head coach from behind the bench (laughs) without any front of bench NBA coaching experience it's pretty wild 35 years old, the second youngest active head coach in the NBA. Assistant to the head coach at Florida, just a coaching assistant. To OKC Blue, 14-19, to 19, Thunder, 19-20. Now he's the head coach. I don't know. He <laughs> definitely leapt over a lot of guys. Uh, we'll see if he has what it takes to really be an NBA head coach. Uh, right now, I, I couldn't make this list without at least mentioning him near the bottom because, again, I just think he's the least, uh, least qualified probably of, in terms of real experience of anybody in the league. But again, that's not an indictment on him. It doesn't mean he definitely won't work out or anything like that. We just don't know. And that's why I didn't put him in my bottom five. But I got to at least mention him because, again, I, I think there's certainly more qualified coaches out there, coaches, coaches that deserved uh, a head coaching job a little bit more than he did. Uh, but again, Presti has had a, a pretty decent track record, certainly, of, of drafting and spotting young talent and young executives and coaches. So let's see how he does with his hand handpicked. Boy Wonder head coach. Number five, worst coach in the NBA. Dwayne Casey. I like Dwayne Casey, to be honest. I think he gets a bad rap for really developing the culture in Toronto and helping them learn how to win and sticking with a team that was supposed to be rebuilding and and literally was. I mean team that thought they'd be terrible when they traded off uh, Rudy and their guys and then put it together and had a tremendous run at the top of the East. Uh, but Casey just, quite frankly, has not figured it out in Detroit. Um, probably not just on him, but also largely on uh, a front office with a very unclear direction uh, you know, I think what Casey, (laughs) here's the thing, he really struggles with trusting young players, he is a huge fan of veterans like Wayne Ellington, and Reggie Bullock, not this year, but in the past, and I don't know, throw another rookie, or another vet on there, and he'll find a way to play him too over rookies, and you know, it's hard to blame him, because again, he's, He's coaching potentially for his job this year. He's seemingly been given like a playoffs or bust mandate while also having Killian Hayes jammed into the starting lineup and Sekou and other young guys who he has to play. So he's in a tough spot. I feel bad for him. I don't think he's a bad coach. Uh, But right now I have to rank Dwayne Casey uh, number five worst or I guess 25th. Uh, In the league. Fourth worst, Lloyd Pierce, who has a tremendous chance to climb out of that hole and certainly, uh, like the guy after him, has started this season pretty well. Uh, But not the strongest competition uh, Atlanta's played so far. Certainly a a rough start to his coaching career, but still very young, still plenty of time to turn it around. Uh, And again, I... Mostly just had to rank him near the bottom because of how great NBA coaches are and how many really good ones there are Uh, is why right now I think he's in the bottom five. But again, uh, a good year from Atlanta, a playoff year, continuing to build off there. Good start will go a long way towards at least initially getting him closer to the middle and maybe even long-term getting him near the top. Third worst is a guy who right now this season ranks as one of the best. But again, it's very early. J.B. Bickerstaff, the world's foremost uh, interim head coach, maybe is finally seizing the opportunity and figuring out a way to make the uh, Cleveland good? Did that acapella for you? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I generally watch Cleveland and think they have no discipline and structure and just look like a mess and Drummond does ridiculous obscene things and they play zone and they goof off and I didn't like what I saw in the preseason at all and then they started a 3-0 um so yeah I don't know maybe maybe I was wrong about Cleveland and maybe Sexton's that good and him and Garland can really play together. and Drummond certainly looks locked in right now. Maybe J.B. Bickerstaff is a decent NBA head coach after all. But right now, uh, particularly not counting three games this season, he is my third worst, who, like Lord Lloyd Pierce, has had a great start to the season and has a great chance to climb out of there if, the Cavs are able to stay on the right track. My second worst goes by the name of Luke Walton in Sacramento. I, quite frankly, just don't think he's very good. I think he has a tough time holding players accountable. I see a lot of things they do X's and O's-wise that can be kind of head-scratching at times or... Just game in-game situations where you just say, why didn't he take a timeout there? Or why did he leave that guy on the floor? Or why didn't he call a play? Or just quick, quick decisions that I think he's not proven to be very good at. Again, a young coach. Uh, a coach that <laughs> looked like the best coach in the league when he was coaching that Golden State team for whatever, 30 games or whatever that was. So, yeah, uh, Sacramento, I think, also has a playoffs or bus type mandate this season. Uh, I think they have a fiery young team. I think they certainly could get there. Uh, and if they do, it'll certainly start to bring Luke up the ranks. But uh, for now, absent of that, he ranks as the second-worst. And without further ado, the worst coach in the NBA today is... Scott Brooks. Yep. Sorry. I did it. Randy Whitman is on track to go down as a better Wizards head coach than Scott Brooks. By far. By far. It's not even close. And it's not surprising either. Because with Randy Woodman, the Wizards were in a preparation advantage every single night. And their team went into the game feeling like they were far more prepared than the other team. With Scott Brooks, the Wizards are at a preparation disadvantage every night. And I know that firsthand. And I can promise you from experience that he watches as little opponent film as anybody in the league. That he does the least amount of game planning. That he knows the fewest opponent plays when he's out there. He could barely even be bothered to watch our own film back again. Just a way too casual approach to coaching. Doesn't do the the hands-on work enough. Wants greatness out of his players, but doesn't put in the time to be great himself. Appreciate you guys listening. Thanks again. Make sure to subscribe and rate and review. And again, go to patreon.com slash Brian to make sure you get your question answered on the next Mailbag Edition and unlock those 50 bonus videos today. Appreciate you guys checking this episode out. And again, I'll see you guys tonight and all the season on Hot Mic, hotmic.io or hotmic in the app store, code SCOUT, all caps, 100% free. Download it to hear my call for national TV games like tonight's Heat Bucks on TNT. Thank you guys again and hashtag talk soon.